Hello and welcome to the Cumberland Podcast. My name is Chris Fleming. I'm the Adult Ministries Coordinator for the Ministry Council of the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, and we're going to be talking about the third Sunday after Epiphany, the lectionary text uh, for January 26th. But before we get into that, I wanted to let you know about an event that the Cumberland Presbyterian Church is participating in. It is our Day of Fasting and Prayer, Denominational Day of Fasting and Prayer. It's going to take place February 26th, which is Ash Wednesday. And it's a day for all Cumberland Presbyterians to pray and fast together, to renew and revitalize us, to bear witness to God's mighty act of reconciling love accomplished in Jesus Christ, by which the sins of the world are forgiven. And in history and scripture, uh, oftentimes times of revival are preceded by times of fasting and prayer on, on a, for a group of people, from a group of people. And that's what we're seeking today. Cumberland Presbyterians around the world are praying and fasting together on this day as a spiritual practice and giving God time and attention in order for God to lead us to revival and renewal in our churches. All ages are invited and encouraged to participate in Pray, Fast, Act, including the spiritual um, practice of fasting. You'll be able to find some information on that if you go to the Ministry Council website. That's cpcmc.org. And when you go there, You'll be greeted by a big logo that says February 26, 2020, Pray, Fast, Act. You'll want to click that logo, and it'll take you to a landing page where you'll be able to find resources written in all languages uh, that are represented in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church. You'll find some resources there that will help you promote and encourage your people to uh, participate in this day of fasting and prayer. The Cumberland Presbyterian Church is a global church, and so our hope is, is that from 1201 on February 1201 a.m. on February 26 all the way to midnight we'll have some parts of the world uh, fasting and praying seeking God's strength and God's vision for our church and and praying for a revival in our churches and also if you go to Facebook you can search for uh, Cumberland Presbyterian Pray Fast Act and that'll lead you to um, a group in which you can go to find some uh, some of the ways that other people are promoting this in their churches, and you'll also be able to find uh, what's the event page for Pray Fast Act, and that's going to be the uh, event that we post updates throughout the day on February 26th about what's going on, who's praying what, and and we're trying to uh, make sure everybody knows this information. So make sure you go and visit. All right, so that leads us for our text for the third Sunday of Epiphany, and it's going to be Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. Uh, the psalm passage is Psalm 27, uh, verse 1, then skip 5 to 13, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, and then Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. The collect for today is, Give us grace, O Lord, to answer, readily, to answer readily the call of our Savior Jesus Christ, and proclaim to all people the good news of His salvation, that we in the whole world may perceive the glory of His marvelous works, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The general theme for Epiphany is, of course, the light. The light has shined. And in the, over, in the themes of our text today, uh, we also read much about the light. The light in these texts are contrasted with the darkness. And in the text, the darkness represents slavery and oppression, worldliness, affliction, disunity, fear, trouble, and displeasure. The light is contrasted then with terms like joy and breaking of oppression, beauty, safety, gladness, singing, and help. These texts present darkness and light as two different ways of living. We dwell in darkness or we dwell in the light. God shines the light, and in Jesus Christ we are offered to walk in the light. So the offer of the text is that we can have light, we can live in the light, 
and that this way of life and light is found in being united with God in Jesus Christ. In the gospel uh, passage today, Jesus offers Simon, Peter, and Andrew the chance to walk in the light, and it says they let their nets down and immediately followed. Our second general theme is related to the first, but it's the theme of simplicity. And by simplicity, I mean to say the biblical definition of the word, word, excuse me, which means completeness, wholeness of one mind, a lack of pretentiousness. It's what Jesus means when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It's being the type of person who is honest and, and authentic. It's letting your yes be yes and your no be no. In the psalm, we see it when we read that verse that says, one thing I ask of the Lord and this one thing only do I seek. So, the third, then, related to the theme of simplicity, is that a person must give up all things in order to live in the light. Or a better way to say it is that the desire to be in the light must be so strong that it overrides any earthly concerns. In the psalm, we read that the psalmist has trouble, and we all have trouble, no doubt, but the psalmist will not be pulled away from the grand vision of God that he sees, the beauty of the Lord sitting in the temple. The psalmist, despite the circumstances he is facing, will seek the face of God. In the Corinthians passage, we see disunity based on cliques and groups and pride and, and pride in being part of those groups. But Paul reminds the, the people of Corinthians that it was Christ who was crucified. And he wasn't crucified for division, but he was crucified for unity. So we must give up our sense of importance importance or our desire to be in the in-club in the church if we want to walk in the light. And then finally, uh, the other theme that I, I see in all of these verses is that um, walking in the light is not a formula. It's not a five-step program to a better life. It's not even a one-time simple decision to give your heart to Jesus. There's an element of commitment and response and following, if you will. In our text, it presents... Uh, it presents to us that God has shown a light, and that light offers freedom and joy and so on. But it's not enough simply to acknowledge that the light is there, but it's the active pursuit of the light which allows us to walk in the light. So for the psalmist, God has shown the light, and the response is to seek only the light. It's to be consumed with searching for God. In the Corinthians passage, it's the choice to be united with Christ, not being united on teaching or human beings. And in the gospel passage, it's not that the two brothers acknowledge the light or they acknowledge Christ as the Messiah, but instead they drop their nets and they followed Christ immediately. And it's in that that they experienced light in all of its brilliance. Now let's look at these texts individually. The Isaiah 9 passage, uh, God has shown forth the light. And as you read in the text, and we mentioned earlier, there is a qualitative difference between living in darkness and living in light. If you've ever been a pastor, elder, or teacher for any amount of time, even a parent, you've been with people, or maybe you've even been in the position yourself where you meet with someone, and it doesn't matter the demographic, we're all people, we all, we all get messed up, where their emotional, spiritual, and even their physical bodies were characterized by brokenness, despair, hopelessness, anger, and so on. And what's more, when you meet with someone like that, or if you've been there before, they don't think things could ever get better. They see no path uh, to wholeness. They see no hope whatsoever. Yet in this text, we read that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So many times when we meet people, they are in such darkness, the thought of light seems like a fantasy. 
But we as ministers, teachers, and elders, we are light bearers, and we proclaim that God has already shined light. It's not up to the one in the darkness to create light. But as I've said, we ministers are the light bearers, and we can say, yes, there is light, there is hope, but you can't create it. The light has already been shined, and it's been created by God through Jesus Christ. And you have to give yourself over to that light. The Isaiah text says these things as if they had already come to pass. It's not a possibility, but it's already done. I myself have been in a land of darkness, and in the process of coming to the light, I've realized, at least for me, faith had less to do with doctrinal doctrinal or theological agreement, but more about having faith that there is a God that is loving enough and powerful enough to send light into my life. I learned that faith, faith was trusting and loving a God who deeply loved me and had the power to break the oppression. Faith then, for me at least, is the exercise of claiming what our loving God has already given. That second to last verse of the Isaiah passage speaks of joy at the harvest and the dividing of the plunder. Both of these things bring joy, for at the end of all the hard work of planting and caretaking a field, a harvest is gathered. And at the end of the struggle and fighting in a battle, it's been won, then you divide the rewards because you've got the victory. So to get to the light, maybe it's that we have to go through some darkness, but at the end, that light provides the benefits that come through the victory and success uh, that God has planted and cared for and that God in Christ has won the battle and has the victory over sin and death. And we who then come to the light uh, get to divide the plunder and we get to feast on the, on the meal which God prepares. We're showered with the benefits of being communion with God and fellowship with God. So if you were going to preach this, here's some preaching points. Uh, There are people walking in darkness, right? Maybe some in your congregation are in a deep darkness. Maybe it's a time that you help them put words to their feelings, that this is what darkness looks like. This is what you might be experiencing. Second point then would be that there is a light. A light has shined. You can answer the question of what the light looks like. What is it? Define it. Well, how is it different from darkness? And maybe if you have a testimony in which you've come from darkness to light, you could uh, incorporate that into your preaching. The third point then would be that God is the one who created the light. You can reassure your people in your congregation that they cannot create the light. There's nothing within them that they will will be able to overcome that darkness. There's no self-help books that they can purchase to make it easier on them. For those who are in despair, the light has come, and God has created the light. And then fourth, that not only is the light created in there, you can experience the light. You can experience the good news. Even though we can't create it ourselves, the light is there, and the offer of Jesus Christ is to live in the light, and with all the benefits that go, go with that. In the psalm passage, Psalm 27, verses 1, and then 5 through 13, it's probably, there's a verse in here that's, a verse that I repeat every morning, most every morning. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to seek Him in His temple. One reason why I repeat this every morning is because it reminds me of who I am, whose I am, and that this world will not drag me down. It's more of a, I guess, a focus statement, a reminder to me of, of those things. And the psalm presents itself then as a description of what it looks like to be walking in the light. So, first, when we walk in the light, we have confidence and a sureness about us 
Darkness and trouble are always in this world, and we're going to encounter it every day. But that darkness and trouble has no power over us, because as verse 1 says, God is our light and our salvation. What is there to fear? So the second thing is, we can live in confidence. Because when we're walking in the light, we have the blessing of God's presence around us. We simplify things, if you will. In our hearts, we seek God with all that we are. We dwell with God in the beauty of His temple. This becomes our overriding concern. We're not swayed by the circumstances around us because we have our mind set on heavenly things, not on earthly things, and the God of peace dwells richly in us. So in the day of our trouble, God takes care of us. God lifts up our heads above our enemies, as it says in the psalm. And then the third point would be, in verse 9, couple that with the preceding two points I've just said, that there's a confidence in life because God is our protector. There's a blessing in being in God's presence. Both these things then lead to worship. So the psalmist says, Therefore, I will sing and make music to the Lord. Now we move to the uh, Corinthians passage. And sometimes the difficulty with Christianity is people. You've all probably heard the overused quote from Gandhi, and I'm going to use it again. I like your Christ, he says, but not your Christians. There is some truth to that. Uh, What does it mean to live in the light as a community? We understand the Christian faith is not an individualistic thing, but it has to be lived out in the community of, of Christ. Living in the light can be darkened when there's disunity in the church. And that seems to be what's happening in the Christian church all the time. After years of ministry experience, I can tell when simplicity of faith is absent, because that's when the light is darkened. Paul in this passage explains three things to the Corinthians um, about living in the light. First, unity is found in the name of Jesus Christ and the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ. Paul, as a minister, is confronting the disunity that is darkening the light in the Corinthian church. The reason uh, for the discord is that there were divisions springing up along the lines of different ministers and teachers who had taught among the Corinthians. For whatever reason, when there's an absence of that simplicity of of Christian faith, other Christians like to outdo other Christians, right? They like to out-Christian one another. In the contemporary church, it may look something like this. Some people want a more spiritual path. Others like that exegetical study in the Word. Some people think that there's a dignity in high liturgy, and other people might think that way is a frozen ritual. And it's always because our way is the best way. Paul reminds the Christians that the light is not divided, and in order to have unity, unity must be founded on a higher purpose than our own preferences or thoughts or teachings of, of human beings. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, is where unity is found. Not in the teachers, not in the preachers, but in the crucified Christ and whose name, uh, the name of Christ, that we've all been baptized. And then the second point, or second thing Paul's trying to relate, is that the light is not found in following a particular preacher or a particular path or program. Instead, it's found in the work of Jesus Christ, found in the name of Jesus Christ particularly. There's no preacher you've ever heard that's died for your sins. You are not included in the family of God because you belong to a particular church, even a Cumberland Presbyterian church. But instead, it's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that you've been rescued from darkness and brought into the light. Our allegiance is solely to Jesus Christ, and it's that allegiance to Jesus Christ that binds us together as the beloved community. And then the third thing that Paul's trying to... uh, 
teach to the Corinthians is that the gospel is not dependent upon teachers and preachers' rhetorical prowess or ability. It's not even dependent upon the church to provide slick programming that helps young families teach their kids right from wrong. But it's the light that illumines the simple message of any gospel preacher. It's believing in that message, not the methods or the messenger that gives light to our souls. And then we go to the Matthew passage, Matthew chapter 4, 12 through 23. Again, this gospel passage affirms that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And in preaching this passage, here's some points of interest you might use, might not. Jesus is the prophesied light from Isaiah. He is the Messiah. He is the narrow road. All the promises of God are wrapped up in him. They're not wrapped up in other religions. The hope of salvation isn't through works. We attain the light by being in union with Jesus Christ. Second is that repentance is a turning toward the light. It's a recognition that there are two ways to live in this world. We can pursue Christ or we can pursue worldly gain. There's not a lot of gray area. Simplicity is the pursuit of the one thing. Now, we may mess up in our Christian walk, but in repentance, we turn full face toward Jesus Christ with no intention of turning back around. There's an old freedom song that was written during the Civil Rights Movement called Ain't Gonna Let No One Turn Me Around. That's what repentance is. You turn, and then your intention is to never turn again. This is illustrated in the disciples throwing down their nets. They were done fishing. They had no intention to return. We know that they did briefly after the crucifixion, but that was a falling away, just a temporary falling away. They had no intention of returning to the darkness. The third thing, Paul, or the third thing in our gospel passage, it's in following that we experience all the goodness of being in the light. Simply recognizing the light is step one. The next step is throwing down the nets and following. That's how we experience all the benefits of the kingdom of God. And lastly. Uh, we are called then in following Christ to imitate him. We become the light bearers. Part of being in the light is that we're healed. And the other part is to shine our healing or our light so that others too may be healed. The last verse of the gospel mentions Jesus the last verse of the gospel mentions that Jesus went out proclaiming the good news, curing diseases, healing the sick. And if you remember really the theme verse for the season of Epiphany is from when Jesus is sitting in the temple and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When we become Christians, when we become uh, part of the light, we then become light bearers to a dark world and we do the same thing. The Holy Spirit sets upon us so that we might uh, proclaim uh, the good news to the poor, release to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So let's pray about these things. Uh, gracious God, we do ask for an anointing that our, our proclamation comes not from our mind, but it comes through our mind and heart from you, that you illumine everything that we say to the effect that wherever we go, people are healed People are set free. People come to the light, and they get out of that darkness, which has such a great hold over them. I pray that you would be with each one of our preachers, our teachers, our elders, whoever in the Cumberland Presbyterian Church has the, the influence of other people's souls uh, before them. 
I pray that uh, they speak with grace, with wisdom, and with confidence because they've had an experience of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.